Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Pete is tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done 22 to Raja. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. What's going on? Welcome to Off the Bench. Danny Cannell, Raja Bell. Big show for you. We got some UFC preview. Big fight this weekend. Okay. Overshot Evans is going to join us on that. Shot. We got, uh, there was Ryder Cup drama. Did you see this? Beefing. Listen to that little story because yeah. there were some dudes I like playing golf right beef. over there. I do too. Yeah. Uh, you think NBA uh, soap opera. Nothing on golf beef. Good. Nothing on that. Uh, but first, we've got some NFL news mm-hmm. or somewhat newsy items because Le'Veon Bell has now come out and he told ESPN's Jeremy Fowler that he expects to return week eight. Not week 10, week eight. He's okay. Gonna, and I actually, so here's what I think he's going to do. They actually play the Browns that week. Week seven is their bye week. So I think he comes back that week is his first work week because he's going to come back, practice, he'll get in shape, Chill. doesn't have to play, collects a check. You get paid 17 game checks in the NFL, so you do get paid uh, $900,000. He would in that case, even though he has to play a game. The thing I cannot wait to see, and I still am very skepti- skeptical of this whole situation, what does he do in week eight versus the Browns? Practice all week, does he say, you know – I'm a little tired. Yeah, he should. Yeah, back. he you should know, say that. I need one more week to prep, and then how long does it carry on? Um, that's the question that that look the Steelers rushing attack when James Conner came back and he had a great first game. But right now, as they rank in the NFL, uh, yards per attempt three point six, which is twenty seventh. Yards per game seventy two, which is twenty eighth. Attempts in total, which eighty one is twenty ninth in the league. And first downs, they've only got thirteen, which is thirtieth in the league rushing the ball. So it's an anemic rush offense at this point you you need Le'Veon Bell whatever he can give you and I think the more that I read into the Le'Veon Bell situation with them yes it was about him getting paid and having the security and getting the sign-in bonus and being paid um, the way he wanted to be paid in terms of being a hybrid receiver and running back but more so it's about workload right and so if you can bring him back and if I'm Le'Veon Bell I am sticking to I need my workload to be lessened I can't take all of this punishment this year. And whether I have to play that up a little bit um, or lie about whether I'm still rusty, I'm going to do that because it, this is protecting my future at this point. I don't want to lose the ability to be a free agent next year, so I have to come back. But I certainly don't want you to grind me into the ground and wear all the tread off my tire in the remaining games of the season. <clears throat> so a couple things. James Conner, I was wrong because I thought you could get – 75% of Le'Veon Bell's production. Like, and, it, and you could be okay. You could survive, so you could survive with that. Right. You're like, alright, he's a good running back. He can fulfill, you know, some of that obligations. I, obviously you're not going to be a top three running back in the NFL the way Le'Veon Bell is, but I still thought there wouldn't be that much of a drop off. I was wrong on that. And not, so he, but here's the other thing I think that's unique to this situation. He ran the ball like 31 times in the first game or touched the ball 31 times in the first game. Since then, he's only touched it about the same over the last three weeks. Yeah. He's gotten less opportunities, which begs the question, all right, well, why didn't they stick with using him the way they did in week one? And the other thing is, if you remember, Le'Veon Bell is at a point in his career last year. He was like, hey, I need to touch the ball more. And so they did. James Conner's not in a position to do that because he's young. He doesn't have that type of – so I think he can get lost in the shuffle and they kind of forget about him, especially when you got Ben and you got Antonio Brown right. passing weapons. So it's it's one of those things where you lose 
you lose a running back who's willing to speak up for himself, right? Like, and, and I think right. that hurts because he's, he's just probably out there saying, I'm collecting paychecks. Whatever they ask me to do, I'll do. You need somebody in there to remind a new offensive coordinator, by the way, because Todd Haley, they did not renew. So they have a new play caller. Like, there's a lot of issues on the Steeler teams, on the Steeler team. I think they missed the playoffs this year. I don't think they're very good. I think the adversity catches up with them. I have no idea what Le'Veon Bell is going to do when he gets back. I think it could even be a distraction because we've already seen his offensive line being like, what's going on when he gets back? If he doesn't play, they're going to look at him and be like, you're collecting almost a million bucks for doing nothing. <laughs> like it's, no, it's, it's going to be a mess. Circus. It only, it only gets messier when he comes back. Like you don't, you don't drop, um, a combustible situation like that back in the locker room and expect everything to like go away. There, there's only going to be more disruption when he gets there. Now, whether that is something that plays itself out over the course of a week and then they hit stride or not, like that remains to be seen. But initially there is going to be more uh, turmoil when you bring him back. This is, I get a little frustrated with, with people. I mean, I, I get that Le'Veon Bell's an older back. He's got a lot of miles on him and it's a devalued position, but I hear a lot of people saying that the Steelers, you know, are in the right for not signing him. That That's fine. But when you're talking about capitalizing on windows of opportunity, you're in one. You know what I mean? Like right. the window of opportunity for the Steelers, when I hear all these people talk about protecting their, their cap situation and, and, and preparing for the future, like you only do that if you don't have a chance to win right now. Right. And by most accounts, they had a chance. They were in a sweet spot of a window maybe two years ago, three years ago to now. Like that's when you've got your big Ben, yep. you know, and so in that window, while Ben is fantastic, and the receivers are great. Le'Veon Bell made that go. Mm-hmm. He makes it go. When he comes back and he's able to tote the rock for whatever the reason, like, I don't know. I'm not a football guy. Like, I can't tell you, you know, technically what he's doing, but my eyeballs tell me when you put him in there and he's the focal point of that offense, things work better. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's as simple as that. People like to overthink stuff. He makes that offense work. I just really feel like the Steelers missed an opportunity and some of it falls totally. on Le'Veon Bell as well. To figure that out and capitalize on the opportunity. Their opportunity isn't three years from now. It's now. The one thing I was surprised about is it said that Le'Veon Bell still said he hopes Pittsburgh gets him a long-term contract when Stop. the franchise tag Stop. is up. I, I, but you, do, you don't think so? Stop. You think he wants out? Because initially when he went and he's, and they couldn't work something out, he's like, um, you know, thanks Pittsburgh. I'm going to give it my all this year and then I'm out. Like that was kind of the thought process. Now he's putting it out there, but there are going to be so, a lot of other suitors out there for him. The last thing he said, though, was that there was a rap in Pittsburgh, right? Didn't he come out and say that? A month ago. Right. But I mean, now his latest comments are like, hey, I'd like – which – If changed? that is the case, because I worry where his mindset is. Like, is he going to show – like, does he want to sh- put his skills on display when he comes back and say – I want to show you guys what I can do, or is he going to do as little as possible to stay healthy and then just trust that people see what his potential is from the la- from his entire career and do that? Like that's that's my thing is like what Le'Veon Bell are you going to get? And that's a tough one, right? right. So here's a question I have for you because I can't understand this for the life of me with Earl Thomas and with Le'Veon Bell. Guys are in this situation where they're not happy because they only have a limited window. They have one year, you know, in in one year franchise tag in Le'Veon's case and a one year left in his deal yeah. in Earl Thomas's case and they want the longer term guarantee. Why don't they load up on insurance? Like the personal injury insurance where you can get both you can get catastrophic protection where if you, you know, whatever, the worst case happens and you can't play football again, you recoup everything you would have made down the future and they also have loss of value insurance. So Earl Thomas Breaks his leg. If he 
commands less in the open market than he would have if he was healthy, that difference is made up. I don't know why these guys aren't loading up on that and then going and playing. Well, I don't, I think it's got less to do with them worrying about getting, getting hurt and more about like that. There are feelings involved in that, right? Like, right. like Earl Thomas isn't going to lose that, that lower leg like injury isn't going to cost him millions and millions of dollars at the end of the day. Um, now you blow out an ACL or something like that. Yes. But I think. If I'm, if I'm weighing on a scale, what's more important to them? Is it the risk of injury or is it like feeling like your club doesn't put any value in you and, and isn't right. treating you? I think it's more the emotional side of it. I, I think so. The, totally. I, it's you a go good question though, because real talk, like in my last t- time around, uh, I played on a Phoenix deal. I locked into a five year deal, right? Mm-hmm. And they paid me what I thought was a really good contract. Like it was good. I don't know that anybody else would have paid me that. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Uh, but I outplayed that deal. But I was in it. It was a five-year deal. And in the NBA, you can't get out. Right. So, you know, I had wanted extensions, and, and Charlotte wasn't in a situation. They had traded for me. They were trying to figure their stuff out. They didn't want to give me one. So I had to play out the last year of my deal, which was fine. Like, I wasn't, you know, it's fine. Um, I went out, and I tore the ligaments in my wrist. Right. And I didn't have insurance. Right. And I don't know that it cost me or not because I was a little older as a player. I don't know that I was the same guy. But I would have probably like to have had that insurance policy in place. I had the same deal because I was a fourth-round draft pick, didn't get much money. I was playing on league minimum my second year in the league, and all of a sudden I'm starting for the New York Giants, and I'm making like $220,000. And, you know, meanwhile at the time, other starters are making four and five million bucks, and I'm I'm like, well, what the heck? I played okay, and so my agent actually suggested, he's like, hey, I think you should protect yourself. You've entrenched yourself as a starter. If something happens, you won't be able to – so I actually went and got a Lloyds of London policy and didn't need it, which is a good thing. But had I gotten hurt, I would have been able to collect on it. Yeah. That's, that's one thing. I just look at that and I'm kind of confused. Um, Des Bryant, all over Twitter throughout the season, he goes out very, it looked like it was a very, uh, acrimonious exit from Dallas. Looked like he was, he's called out dudes in the locker room. Yeah. Uh, he's been on, you know, been on Twitter. He's gone on tweet storms. A couple weeks ago, let me say this is where this started. Okay. He went to Jay Z and Beyonce's concert. And do we talk about that? With Jerry? With, with Jerry. He was sitting in the box with him. I guarantee Wait, you. Wait, Jerry was at the Jay and Bay yeah, concert? Yeah, Jerry rolls like okay, that. Jerry, yeah, he rolls like that. So they were talking. I guarantee you, Dez and Jerry have maintained a relationship that's probably pretty good. I'm telling you, I don't like Jerry Jones. I think he's bad for the Cowboys. I think they won't win a Super Bowl with him. Everybody that plays for him raves about him, says he takes care of his guys. Dez going on Twitter saying, hey, I'd rather be a Dallas Cowboy. If not, I'll be ready to play somewhere else. Not what I'd he, rather it be in Dallas. Not what he wrote, though. You, you actually grammatically worked that out for him. I that's, did. Not, that's not what he wrote. He said, I'll rather be. <laughs> I'll but rather. bottom line, do you think he could make it work with the Cowboys? Um, Yeah. I do, too. Because I don't know if there's anywhere else. He's starting to realize. See, this is what happens. Players think they're worth more than they actually are, than the open market uh-huh. will tell them. So now that he's kind of gotten a glimpse of saying, man, my phone isn't ringing, or it is, and the offers that are coming in are really low. And so he's like, you know what? Maybe I should go back to Dallas. And they desperately need and That's it. the thing. This is one of those rare situations where, for both parties, the grass wasn't greener on the other side, right? Like, you, you thought that you were going to be this highly sought-after, like, wide receiver, little slap in the face with humility and no one has touched you right and the cowboys like you really thought 
I could see, I could see Des Bryant, like, for players, I forgive it to a certain degree. You're always supposed to feel like you're in demand, like you're a guy, you're the one. Right. But, like, for the Cowboys, like, you really thought you were gonna roll out that receiving core, you were gonna lose Jason Witten. Right. And, and Des Bryant, and you guys were gonna be able to keep your head above water with a quarterback who's still trying to figure out how to play in the NFL? That's absurd. Right. So this is one of those situations where, like, for both of them, it makes a lot of sense if it were to happen. I think they could bury the hatchet, uh, at least for a year to try to figure out right. where they go from here. Well, the thing is, and this is what, where it gets really interesting, is Des Bryant reportedly turned down a three-year, $21 million uh, deal for the Ravens. Well, the spring. You, boy. the same when the Browns offered him less than $5 million a year. I think the Cowboys might be able to get him on the cheap at like four and oh. be like, hey, come join us. Maybe it is, I, if oh. I, if I would do, the one-year deal I think would work for everybody. Cause you get Des ticked off. He wants to go prove to everybody. He wants to get the longer term deal. Maybe it's with Dallas. That'd be a great situation if he goes out and balls with them. But what, what? All this mess and we get to here. It's like, couldn't you guys figure it out? Then that's, that's what's hard. And that's what my, that's what my advice to Des was when he was like, no, I'm not taking a pay cut. Like, what are work you something talking? out? Bro, three years, he turned down three years, $21 million from the Raiders. Now it was probably, yes, the deal was three, uh, three years, 21 mil, but I, I bet my, I'd be willing to bet the guaranteed money. Was closer to two years for eleven or twelve million, like around five or six a year. You know, which is still good money. But he viewed. But again, every player comes to a point they think they're worth more than they really are, and clearly that's that's the case. I did, I did too. Look, I we all that. do. Yes, <laughs> I lived that. Man, when they told me, "Hey, man, you're worth three years this much money. Take it or leave it." I was like, "I'll take it. Let me sign me up." Hey. Dallas, always full of drama. Jerry Jones loves talking about it. I'm sure he'll probably be addressing it some point soon. They need him. Yeah, it might be. It's good. I hope it works out for you. All right. We got to do some UFC because there is a monster fight this weekend. We got Rashad Evans. He's going to join us just out of retirement. Yeah. He's going to join us on the bench, on off the bench. Oh, well played. Well played, sir. All right, welcome back to Off the Bench. Huge monster UFC event, 229 this weekend, Connor versus Khabib. So we got our guy Rashad Evans in here to break it down with us. Former UFC light heavyweight champ, but recently retired, man. How's, how's retirement treating you so far? It's, uh, it's pretty good, you know. I'm in the, I'm in the right area being in Boca Raton, you know. I kind of felt like, uh, Boca the, mean, right the mean streets of Boca. <laughs> yeah, mean street of Boca. Now it's just me like, well, uh, today I think I'll go and, uh, brush my, uh, my driveway off. <laughs> that sounds like Boca. That Boca life, man. That Boca life. Man. That's about it. Um, so, is it, has it been hard for you at all? Like, have you, have you, do you miss it yet? Cause I, I didn't miss football until probably about six months after. And like, I started, like, will it be tough for you to watch this event this weekend? Um, it, it's getting tougher. Each, each, uh, event gets tougher because it's, uh, I fought in June. So normally around like the time I'm, I will fight again, which would be probably November. Then I start to miss it a little bit more because, um, you, it's like, okay, it's your turn. Then it's, okay, I started training for mine. Then it's my turn to go. And, uh, there's going to be no more turns, you know? So, um, I've, I've been already just, you know, struggling with some aspects of it. But one thing that's been helping me out is, uh, being able to go into the gym, help out some of the other guys, uh, achieve some of their goals. So that, that's something that's been able to help just the hunger from wanting to go back in there and subside. Yeah. Talk to us. Uh, let's jump into the fight this week, man. Cause admittedly, I'm not a huge like MMA okay, dude. Like yeah. I don't know, but I know Khabib and McGregor, right? Like yeah. I've seen those press conferences. Absolutely, yeah. Um, there, uh, occasionally in boxing, you'll get a match where two dudes just really don't like each other. You got any insight on the backstory? Why do these cats just really don't get down? Um, well, it, it, it's, it has to do with, uh, you know, 
uh, Khabib got into the face of Connor's guy, um, Artem, Artem Lowoff, and it was at one of the fights that they were supposed to fight on the car together. And you know, it's a famous New York incident right. where, uh, Connor showed up and, you know, he, he, uh, you know, caused wreck and, and, um, at the weigh-ins, at the weigh-ins van and through stuff and caused the whole car to be disrupted. But that's the, that, that's pretty much, um, you know, part of the genesis. There, is, there was a little bit of the backstory as far as, you know, Khabib and, and, and Artem going back and forth. They're both Russian and, um, Khabib's a Dagestani and, and, and um, you know, Artem, Artem is, is just like, he's not, you know what I'm saying? So there's, there's a bit of a tension, you know, and, um, Connor, Connor didn't like the way Khabib went up to Artem and checked him, and he, you know, he, he, I guess he put his hands on him. Right. And then in Connor's that was, world, yeah, that was when he lost it, right? Connor, yeah, because Connor sees, you know, um, Artem as one of his guys who helped him get to where he's at. So he's like, you know, you can come against me, you can come against the family. That's blood. It's blood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it all right? So here's what'll bother me, because I love it. this is one of the reasons because I think they want to kill each other, right? They do. If <laughs> they go after. And they hug it out, and they're like, "Hey, that was great." Do you think they'll do that? Like, do no. you think they'll or do you think they'll still be like trying to get at each other? After you, you know, here, here's a funny thing that happens: like when you fight somebody, even if you hate them, the craziest thing you you, you find a mutual respect for them, even if you sure. can't stand them because um, for the 25 minutes or however long the fight went, that person gave you your best, and you felt you felt them. You know, so there's an exchange of respect that just naturally happens. Do I think they're gonna? Like be best friends after the initial, just like all right, good competition. No, I, I think it. Um, depending on what happens, it could get worse because you know these these are are um, it, it's 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 a big rivalry just because of the fact that you know the implications involved with with you know with uh, with Putin and everything else. Like there, there's a whole political uh, uh, flow to this fight. You know, it's, it's more than just than just a fight. Um, you know, Khabib was bringing up some things. I mean, um, Connor was bringing up some things in a press conference about, uh, Putin and, and some information that he researched and he found out. So it kind of like, it kind of like puts a different spin on the fight and it's just not a fight. Right. What, 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 who you got winning the fight? Um, I, I got Khabib winning the fight and, 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 you know, mainly because of the fact that, you know, uh, Connor's been off and Connor's been, you know, he, he's been, you know, all around the world and he's been getting pulled in many directions. And the thing about it is when you get pulled in so many di- different directions and you have a guy in front of you who's undefeated 26 and 0 and, and who just pretty much demolishes, not even just closely beats, but he's demolished his competition at the highest level. So this guy's been putting people away consistently. Then you look at Connor who's been, you know, pulled in many different directions and had the biggest payday of his life. And after you get paid that kind of money, it gets hard to go back to making MMA money. Yep. Let's just be honest, you know? Yeah. That's what Dana White said after the last time, because the last couple of years, he's been saying, hey, do you think Connor will come back? He's like, it's a lot harder to come back and get punched in the face when you've made all that money. What about just the flow of being in a live fight as opposed to practicing, sparring with guys and practice? Like, how do you think he'll hop right back in, or do you think it will take a round or two for him to get comfortable in the ring? Um, it's going to take him some time, and I would put Connor's mental game probably above anybody I ever seen compete. Just because mentally speaking, when you watch this guy, he's 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 strong. He's mentally strong. He's tough. He's not acting. He's mentally strong. And part of it is 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 that he's got a little bit of he's he's a little crazy. You know right, what I'm right, saying? Right. He's a little psychotic. <laughs> right. crazy. You know what I'm saying? So, but but that helps him when you got to compete and you got to you know have these. 
ha- have your mind uh, full of all kinds of things that you think that you can do. You got to be a little bit crazy. So he's a little bit out of touch. So that helps him in, in order to be able to go out there and, and have the fight that he believes is going to have. But I don't think that's going to be enough to go against a guy like Khabib, who is in the prime of his career and consistently competing. Yeah, and hungry. And hungry. And hungry. And hungry. Right. I mean, one thing, Connor, what, what, what changes to me about this fight is that when I watched Connor for a while, ever since he came to the UFC, and you watch Connor and you see, okay, he has a rhythm to his trash talking, and usually it's like hot potato. You know, usually he gets the guy emotionally invested, and once the guy's emotionally invested, he's like, okay, well, you hold all the anger now. Now you have to deal with all the thoughts that come to your mind by fighting, being an emotional fighter, because in fighting, you don't want to be emotional. It's actually the absence of emotion. You have to be cold-blooded. You have to just be even-keeled because you have to be able to make a decision. You can't be able. To, you can't be in an emotion because if you're in emotion, then you're delayed. You're not seeing everything that you need to see. So you have to have a clear mind. And Connor's been really, really good at making sure he has a clear mind because he's able to get this guy emotionally into the fight. But he can't do the same thing with Khabib. And you watch Connor speak. You watching him speak and even interview and talking about the whole fight. He's almost shortness of breath. And one thing I notice is is breath is very important, but it's something that people don't pay attention to. When you watch somebody's rhythm of breathing, you can really tell what that person's emotional state is. And Connor can't seem to catch his breath. So if he can't seem to catch his breath in an interview, chances are he's not going to be able to catch his breath on fight night. When it's like, okay, it's time, it's time, it's time, you know. So that's that's one of the things that's that's looking different about Connor this fight compared to all the other times he fought. That's kind of deep. That, that's next level. Yeah, stuff. That's next I like level that for kind sure. of breakdown. Because right. I've actually, because I've got to interview him, so not this close, because we are tight in this room in our podcast room. But when I talked to him, I remember feeling like, first of all, this guy's crazy, and if I ask him the wrong question, he might come off and like, <laughs> jump across the desk and hit me. But there was a very calculated part of it. So we all know about the Connor Khabib fight. For guys like Raja and I who who will tune in for that one, what what are the pre fights? What we look out for, like some of the undercards. Oh man, they got they got so many cards. Let's let's pull the card up here. We got uh, we go. okay, we got Tony Ferguson, Anthony Pettis. That's going to be a killer right there. Over Ferguson got screwed, right? Yeah, uh, Fer, Fer, well Ferguson not so much screwed. He got injured and he he was not he didn't get the shot that he should have. But I like this for Ferguson because of the fact that when you come in from an injury, in your mind you think you can jump back into the soup and everything is good. But you really need to fight like Anthony Pettis. Anthony Pettis is, is a tough competitor, championship mentality. He's going to push Tony Ferguson, so that's a good. Fight. Fight. And then you got Ovin St. Peru at the 205 weight class, really just trying to get back on a win column with Dominic Reyes. And then you got Derek Lewis, the big black beast, and one of the funnest fighters to watch, man. And then you got Michelle Lewis and Felice Herring. Both of these women are amazing to watch. Michelle Waters, one of my old teammates out in Albuquerque, and Felice Herring is one of the toughest mentally and, 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 and I mean, technically speaking, she's on the rise at, at, in her strawweight division. So the rest of the card is is amazing. And that's one thing about the UFC card, the 229, that, um, you know, a, a lot of the cards, you know, they, they've been, you know, this card is a very, very strong card. What's going on with the uh, the weigh-ins? Because they've been mix, mixing around the times uh, going from nighttime to morning time. And all of a sudden we're seeing uh, up to 62 fighters missed weight from June of 2016 to May 31st, 2018. So you're seeing more guys miss weight. Is it that big a deal to go 10 hours, 12 hours earlier than having to do it at night? Well, yeah, having doing it um, in the morning, it, I found it better because you don't have to keep your weight down all day. So what typically happens is when I cut weight and I have to weigh in at, say the weigh-ins typically at uh, 4 or 5 p.m., 
I have to keep my weight down the whole time. So that means that I cut weight and then I'm getting my weight down. So that means that I can't eat or drink up until 4 p.m. So my body is taking a huge hit. Right. And then I'm going to ask it to, you know, to compete hard for the next day, which is really not that good. So they came up with the morning weigh-ins where people are getting their weight down the day before and then waking up in the morning and then weighing in first thing in the morning so then they can eat and have a regular weight. But what's happening is people are procrastinating. You know what I'm saying? And and the time is not – it doesn't seem like it's enough time. But it's just fighters what, – what really needs to happen is that, you know um, – the the whole class we used to do weight classifications in in high school when it comes to wrestling and I think there needs to be a little bit of you know that in in with the MMA just because you know you have to start watching for these athletes health and then at the same time you know you're not going to get the peak performance that you think you're going to get right when you're when you're that you know depleted so it's just you know getting some of these fighters educating the fighters educating the coaches to say hey you know what less is not more. Do you think John Jones? Do you think we see him again? I think you most definitely see John Jones again. Yeah, John Jones is now in the in the pool again, testing for USADA. Uh, you know, and you know he he served. He has, I think, uh, think he I think he should be pretty pretty much eligible pretty soon. Yeah, you fought so, him, right? Yeah, I fought him. What was I that like? It was uh it, it was interesting. You know, John Jones was a training partner of mine for a while, but uh you know John is John is pretty good. You know, John is is one of the, you know, probably the best athlete I ever I ever faced in the octagon, you know, just his ability to uh use his range, his body and just overall smarts in the octagon. Um the potential of John Jones has is 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 astronomical out of this world man. and that's that's no secret anybody watch perform, you know, this kid just, you know, has that matrix code in him. But the biggest problem with John has always been John. Now it's going to be interesting to see how does John come back when he has to, you know, battle himself essentially because uh, he's he's going to have to um, validate himself or feel like he needs to validate himself to the naysayers and everything else like that. You know, the best thing I would best advice I would give John is, you know what. You know, have somebody else run your social media. If you're, if you're, if you're, if you're emotionally, if you're emotionally connected, have somebody else run your social media and make your world incredibly small with people who, you know, feed you positive information. Because if you don't, then after a while, that decay, what people say would start to seep in. I don't care who you are. If you are exposed to negativity and people saying things to you, somebody's going to have the key to unlock that door to get in your head. Yep, no doubt, no doubt about it. Hey, appreciate getting up early for no us problem, coming man. in here. Yeah, you got to take us up to Boca, do a little uh, workout. Hey, MMA uh, workout. That's Raza and I through the ringer. I would love to. I would love <laughs> to. Right. I'll be on the driving range. I'll meet y'all after this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got to do our bell bottoms. Are the Eagles in Raza's bottom five? We're going to find out <laughs> next and off the bench. Have you ever looked at your credit card statement and been shocked by the interest rate? Yeah, they're off the charts. That and when my wife goes shopping, whoa, I don't even want to see the balance. Did you know you could actually roll all of your credit card debt into one monthly payment at a lower fixed interest rate? Lightstream offers credit card consolidation loans from 5.89 APR with auto pay. 
that's lower than the average credit card interest rate of over 18% APR. Here's a fun fact, too. Lightstream plants a tree with every loan they fund. Their website's super easy to use, easy to apply, easy to sign in. It's cake. It's simple. You have to do it. My listeners will get a special discount on top of Lightstream's already low interest rates. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash bench, L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash bench. Subject credit approval. Rate includes 0.5% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash bench for more information. Let's do some NFL. We have uh, my top 10 that we've got to get to. Um, let's see what we think. I don't think there's any controversy here. All right. But some people apparently had a problem with my list. Is that the Rams? No problem. Huh? Chiefs dominate. Huh? Big win the other night. Patriots back on track. Uh, back on track. Vikings. Uh, you see their odds right there? 20 to 1. Jump on them now. 1, 2, Jump and 1. You have been now. Four. Here's why. They're tie. They went toe to toe with Aaron Rodgers in Lambeau. All right. Then what we see them do in primetime against Thursday night against the Rams. The best team. Everybody knows the Rams the best team. They went toe-to-toe, score-to-score with the Rams. They get one stop there, or Kirk Cousins get the strip sack. They could potentially win that game. They're just as good as the Rams. They can go toe-to-toe. They're going to figure their things who's out. Their one, who's their one win against? Value. Uh, the Bills. Or, no, they actually lost to the Bills. Hey, hey, ugly yeah. one. Who's the one win against? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, who. Right, correct. There, there we go. Anyway. <laughs> 49ers. Yeah. With Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, the unproven, we probably shouldn't have paid him Nobody all that money, Jimmy Garoppolo. A franchise stud right there. If Ifs was a fifth, we'd all be drunk. Uh, no, but really the story is, and if you look at the Vegas odds, it's insane how the Chiefs and Rams have separated themselves as the favorites from the AFC and NFC. I think they're both unbelievably talented teams, the Rams much more balanced. Like if you ask me, all right, which one would you take to go to the Super Bowl? It'd be the Rams without a doubt. The Chiefs are bottom three in almost every defensive category. They're last in uh total defense. They're like 29th in rush defense. They are not very good defensively. But I look at that offense, and it is historically great. Like we need to start looking at this offense and talking about them like the Rams – back in 99 when they were the greatest show on turf. That is how special I think they are with Mahomes, the weapons he's working with, and with Andy Reid calling the shots. Um, Yeah, I don't – like the NFL kind of feels or felt like for a long time baseball, where baseball was kind of stuck in like the traditionalist mindset of, you know, it's the good old sport and, you know, it's got to be like that. Football, like stylistically, offensively, felt like it was stuck like that for a while. And now, like I really loved watching – Kansas City because I'm not a football purist. I love to watch football, but I don't know the ins and outs of play call and all that. I like to see creativity offensively and Kansas City's got plenty of that. Like they are like, super creative. I love what he's doing, even like with motions, little things, things you never see before with Tyreek Hill, he like took going Ty- around or back behind and back behind the quarterback, <laughs> looping back out the other way. Like really cool the stuff. Cheetah. And you know how hard that is for a defender because First of all, you have to run around a lot. You don't know where you're going. It tells you what coverage they're going to run because if it's man coverage, they have to run with them. If it's zone, you're trying to communicate, and you might check to a different type of zone when he's back there, but then all of a sudden he loops back the other way. It presents massive problems. And if you're the guy trailing him and running with him in man coverage, you cannot hesitate for a split second because if you do, he's gone. He's gone, gone right. Gone. Um, that little tight screen that they ran to Travis Kelsey for the touchdown, like yeah. down, that, that little just quick. Yeah. That just who but, does that? No, they do. And that's right. the thing I love about them is they're stealing some concepts from college, but they're also just 
drawing stuff up in the sand. And I think Patrick Mahomes is a absolute superstar. And I was kind of, I feel like I've been saying that for a couple of weeks. I doubted it coming in, but now I'm like, Andy Reid looks like a genius. It's another one of these things. All right. If your eyeballs, if you're watching that and your eyeballs are telling you that there's something different about him, and that's what they should be telling you. If you watch yes. him with any type of like impartiality, you should be looking at him and saying, he's the type of dude, like, like in the NBA, right? Best players on the planet in the NBA, they're still dudes that they'll tune in to watch, right? Like LeBron will probably tune in to watch KD yeah. or tune in to see Kobe go for 81. Like he's the type of quarterback that like Ben Roethlisberger and, and Aaron Rodgers and yep. Tom Brady might sit around and be like, Hey, that's pretty damn cool. Like, and when you're doing that to your peers, you're, you're watching something, you're watching something kind of special. Whether he winds up being, you right. know, like everything that people, that's debatable. But in terms of it's pure right raw track. talent, like he's something special in terms of talent. We didn't get to hit on it because we didn't have a show yesterday. We're doing a little technical stuff around here uh, mm-hmm. at the office. But the throw he made when he was scrambling from Von Miller running full speed and he tossed it left handed and hit it in stride. That was, whoa, like that's Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers type stuff. And and the thing about it that I love about is he's unflappable. Jared Goff and him, we just saw their numbers side to side. Jared Goff's at 350 yards, 350 yards a game. Mahomes at 300 yards a game. They're both having phenomenal seasons. The thing I like about them both, they're both unflappable, calm, cool, collected. The thing I didn't know Patrick Mahomes had, his rushing touchdown the other night, I knew he could scramble around by time. Like Ben does that. Yeah. Famous Winston does that. I didn't know he had the next speed. Like he kicked it up a notch, and I I didn't know he had that gear because I look at him and he doesn't look fast. Right. Like, just his gait, like when he walks, like. But he flipped the switch and he put on the jets, and I didn't know he had that in him. Dude, he had a ball where he scrambled left. He was running left. I think third quarter maybe. And Travis Kelsey hadn't really got going yet. Yeah. And he was all the way running left, and he threw it back across his body off the left leg, like yeah. to the middle of the field, like twenty five yards on a rope off of one leg. I mean, who he has sick arm talent. Like, I really don't think we've seen a guy with this much like since Jeff George, maybe. Yeah, like, that type of arm talent just separates himself from everybody else. So it looks like they're on a path for Super Bowl Chiefs uh, and Rams. But as we know, there's still 12 yeah. games left. A lot can happen, and we'll have to see if the Chiefs can get straightened out on uh, the defensive side of the ball. New Orleans Saints. I don't think anybody would have a problem with me having them at the sixth spot of my top ten. Drew Brees. You know, at his age, continues to thrive, 75% completion percentage, eight touchdowns, zero interceptions. They didn't miss Mark Ingram at all. Alvin Kamara's been awesome. They're only going to get better when they get Ingram back. I've, I think the league now, and you're starting to see these numbers, 75% completion. This is the NFL, and this is the way we're moving. Every offensive record is going to get shattered. All the single season records, the career records, it is a new NFL, the way the rules protect quarterbacks, Prevent helmet to helmet hits over the middle. Receivers aren't worried about it. You can't hardly, it's hard to, for defenders to break up passes with big hits. This is the new NFL. Just you know, who, get used to it. You know who got this right first? Who? The NBA. You're right. They did. Yep. They, they realized, uh, and this was a decade ago that people didn't want to see grind you out tough New York Knicks style physical basketball. They wanted to see Kobe's and Michael Jordan's and LeBron's and Kevin Durant's and Steph Curry score a lot of points. And then the three-point line came into play, and analytically, you know, the game just exploded, and and you know, viewership and, and people received it well, and that's what the NFL has seen. The NFL has put a premium now on offensive, like production, production, and people are tuning in. Numbers are up across the board. All I heard for the last couple of years was, "Oh, I can't. If they're not going to let big hits happen, I don't want to watch." Do you think the NFL might have saved itself 
with these rule changes? Yeah, potentially. I think so, uh, yes. too. Like, I might have been wrong because I do think people tune in. It's like NASCAR. A lot of people watch, unfortunately, like you want to see a wreck. I think some people do watch for the big hits. I think if you still get them occasionally and maybe they're not as aggressive and as spearheaded and like some of the stuff that really is bad for the game and, and you can take those hits out of the game but still have it be a physical game of tackle football – I think they might have saved it. See the like diff- that game that the, the game I referenced a minute ago, that Thursday night game when the Vikings and Rams are going back and forth, and you're seeing these overtime shootouts. They are fun to watch. They, they are fun to watch, and look to and be. I'm, I'll contradict myself because I, I I wouldn't watch if I didn't have like Patrick Mahomes. If if uh, who's the backup quarterback for the for the Chiefs? Um, the dude who used to be with the Dolphins, like. What? It doesn't matter. That's the right. point. I'm not. <laughs> right. I'm not watching, watch and I'm not watching San Francisco, and I'm not. When these backups come in, I'm not watching. But You're here's not a CJ Beathard fan. <laughs> stop. Here's, here's just stop it. Here's why I think it's different in the NBA and the NFL because the NBA just they implemented rule changes that essentially affected everybody. Mm-hmm. We all still are subject to the same calls. Do you understand what I'm saying? So. While it makes my job exponentially harder because you're a better offensive player than me, you then still have to guard me and I get the benefit of the same rule. That doesn't happen in the NFL. They're only protecting one person with the rule changes. And I, and I think that sets, it sets it up for there to be some resentment from guys when you're putting a premium on one position. The NBA doesn't do that. Like it just puts a premium on scoring in general. The NFL has now put a premium on protecting a position. The quarterback at all costs. And I, I don't think that's, I don't think that sends a great message to the rest of the dudes who are out there earning a living playing an inherently violent game and laying their bodies on the line that this particular position we hold in higher regard than all the rest of you. You can get hurt and you're expendable. They're not. Whether that's the case or not, it sends a bad message. The NBA right. didn't do that. Right. Uh, if you play, if you don't adapt to this style of NFL, like the Cowboys are. Like I look at the Cowboys, I'm like, they're still trying to do what they did five years ago. Run the football. Don't ask Dak Prescott to do a lot. You know, have a pretty solid defense. Run game. That's not going to work anymore. You have to evolve, and I think you're going to see that. All right, let's take a look at the bell bottoms. All right. Your bottom five teams in the NFL. I'm going to go with the Arizona Cardinals. Um, just Winless. Yeah, I mean. Switch to Josh Rosen. Yeah, he wasn't terrible. Oh, he's been all right. Yeah. And I think it's going all these, to – all these rookies are going to have some games where you're like, hey, looks great. They're going to have some games where you're like, ooh, he looks like a rookie. That's just the nature of what it is. I don't think the Cardinals have very much talent around them. That's the problem. Correct. They're starting to look older. Larry Fitzgerald's getting older. Tell me if you see a theme with these these next two. Yep. So we got um, the uh, Buffalo Bills. Yep. Um, and then the to a rookie quarterback. New York Jets. Yep. Started the season with a rookie quarterback. 49ers. Don't have their franchise quarterback. He got hurt. You're right. And the, and the Giants. <laughs> who should have probably taken a quarterback. <laughs> right. Now you're rubbing it into all those Giants fans. I was a... I was to go ahead and get Saquon Barkley. Yeah. Where has he been? Like they have not utilized him and maybe they did. And I, this would have been me. If I was their GM, I would have been fired possibly. Uh, Gettleman, their guy said, you know what? Saquon Barkley's gener- he better be a generational running back because as I just said, in this day and age of this style of NFL, if you're sitting there and still thinking, Hey, we can go run the ball and set the tone. Nope, you got to be able to throw it, but they also have to do a better job of uh, protecting Eli Manning. No All right. There is a crazy, uh, there was a great article. Uh, by Bleacher Report on the NBA's social media addiction. Yeah. I think it was fascinating. I want to get your thoughts on that next on Off the Bench. All right, let's finish off some leftovers. I have a confession to make. <laughs> I am addicted huh. to my phone. That's odd. Are you? Yeah. I, I'm like, I'm, I think there are <laughs> levels of addiction. I am bad. Yeah. Um, Tom Haberstroh writes for Bleacher Report. 
great article and great insight on the NBA's social media addiction because mm-hmm. they have been at the forefront of team accounts, pushing their guys out there. They love Joel Embiid, you know, Instagram stories. We're getting the workouts. We had some fun with that a few weeks ago. Yeah. Like they are all about pushing the league on social media, but I think it does come with some drawbacks and JJ Reddick spoke about some of it, calling it quote, it's a dark place. It's not a healthy place. It's not real. It's not a healthy place for ego. If we're talking about some Freudian bleep, it's just this cycle of anger and validation and tribalism. Tribalism. It's scary, man. I would agree 100%. I think it is unhealthy for all this generation to be as focused on what people that you don't even know are saying about you concerns me. He said he's been on teams where they would have team dinners and nobody's talking to one another. Yeah. Do you think it, it's a problem? Do you think you should do anything about it? Like teams are having phone buckets or bags where they have to leave I'm them st- in. I'm starting that today. Yeah, I'm doing that at my, my house. house. Yep. We're starting sure. as soon as my son gets out of middle now, school you, at 345. Yes. Yeah. Because I can be without mine. Like I'm okay to be without mine. The rest of my family, I'm not so sure. So what, what I find happening is because they're all on it and I got nobody to like talk to or hang out with, then I, then I hop on it. You know what I mean? But yeah, it was funny. Like when I, went to Spain. I had this old school Yugoslavian coach. Uh, his name was Dusko Ivanovic and he hated um, electronics on the bus or the plane. So you had to play cards or you had to do oh, something. Oh no, not even like you couldn't even watch a movie. No, he wanted interactive like interaction. Yeah. And you know, we we're all like, you know, we hated it, but it was real. Uh, Jerry Sloan, another guy, didn't want you coming on the bus and immediately put in the headphones and stuff on. And again, you're looking at a guy like, oh, this is old school, like Come on, coach. Like, you know, we want to listen to our music and stuff, but the trend has been, it's, it's out of control now. And so part of the reason why I miss playing a professional sport are the dinners that I would go to with Leandro Balbosa and Brian Grant and Steve Nash and Sean Marion and Mari Stoudemire and Pat, uh, Pat Burke. Like those were the best memories, like sitting around, drinking a glass of wine, talking that bleep, like, you know, having a good time. Yeah. And so if I were living in a day and age where we went to, I would be mortified sitting there at dinner with everybody just on their device. Like I, I, I do think it's a terrible thing. And I, I agree. Like I watched my son and I said to my wife the other day, I don't know that this is like good for him. And I get that everybody does it, but I just don't know that sitting here like this, can't it can't be good for you. Like it just can't be a good thing on a lot of levels. So what boggles my mind is how little we as a society are really talking about this and bring it to the forefront because I'm a hundred percent on board with you. Like I see my kids, I see like my daughter, she'll have a friend over. They'll both have their phones and then they'll start taking videos and they both are using their videos instead of talking to each other. Like they're not learning how to communicate Correct. like humans should interact and, divor- and develop any sort of uh, communication. I think we are under this since really 2007 when the iPhone was invented and when Twitter was around and social media became prevalent. So basically about 10 years I think this is one big, massive social experiment. And I think all you have to do is look at some of the very concerning numbers about depression and anxiety, issues that you're seeing arise in teens and young people and adults. I think it's a direct result of that. And if we don't wake up and snap out of it, it's only going to get worse. Absolutely. And and you're developing like addicts at a very young age now. Yes. Like, cause my son, my son and, and look, I have a six year old who's addicted to Fortnite, like addicted to, or a phone. Like he can't be anywhere without, Hey, can I have your phone? Right. Or mommy, can I have your phone? Like 
bro, you're six. Go grab, go grab a little plastic animal and right, and make right. a play zoo. I don't do something other than like have this thirst for a device. So I'm 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 implementing it today, guaranteed. I'm with you. Derek Jeter does it, but for different reasons. He doesn't <laughs> want people put, taking pictures of what's going on in his house. Uh, Ryder Cup drama. We got to finish the show with this because DJ uh, Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka are boys, right? They yeah. work out partners. They do all this. Reports are coming out on the flight on the way over there. They had a little scuffle and then kind of continued afterwards. A little scuffle that was going on. Uh, the Guardian reported they were separated by others after nearly coming to blows off the course, like right after I need the Ryder I need Cup. Some, we got any insight into this? No, I don't know what it is. I'm well, they were scrapping just, on the way over. I guess it started on the, the way that on the way US there, and then it carried over. Totally, this yeah. team lacked chemistry. You had Patrick Reed out there chirping after. Yeah. Now it kind of all makes sense why they didn't look very enthusiastic. They didn't look. You know, like a team. They didn't have any chemistry whatsoever. I have a hunch, and I hope, they're probably competitive. It's probably like a sibling rivalry. Then we yeah. talk about two of the best players in the world. Yeah. They hang out all the time. They're around each other, working out. I hope that's what it is. Because there were some other stuff that was going around. I, hope that's I thought all what the it problems is. were gone. Yeah. When they, you know, the Instagram was wiped from Paulina and you had everything going on. Hopefully that's not it. Hopefully just, it's just they were they didn't pass the funnel, man. Like it was like <laughs> those two, they're they bros. Do like like, the party. Yeah, they didn't they pass do like the funnel. The funnel that, there are a couple they, bros. Hopefully it didn't. Tom Brady says he can still dunk. Can you? you no yeah, problem. Yeah, no problem. I used to. I don't know if I could do it anymore. No windmills are backwards. Just basically, yeah, you could. Like one hand, two two feet or one foot. Oh, uh, two feet. That one foot, I might, I might, like, <laughs> my knee might disintegrate. I never was able to dunk off two feet. Really? Never. That's how bad. That's how awful. I can do some pretty sweet ones. One foot though. Okay. I could do like a reverse. I could throw it down a little tomahawk. I could have some power. You gotta on be it. careful. I tore down a rim. Dang it. Just yeah. Slide off. That's right. Playing. <laughs>